0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, Ocalagrace.org. Here's a question. What makes up a great story? What do you need? What are the ingredients of a great story? Characters? Okay. A good plot? Anything else? Happy ending? Okay, that, that, that's true. I, I think if you're, if you're going to come up with some components of a great story, I think it's got to have an opening that grabs you from the beginning, right? You got to have characters that you care about. You got to have something changing, some kind of conflict, something that's taking them from, you know, point A to point B or sometimes even point Z, right? And you got to have a solid closing you got to have a sequence at the end that just like leaves you with, oh, yes, right? That's what, that's what makes up a, a great story. I consider myself a bit of a, of a movie nerd. Like I really like movies. I really like stories. But I'm also simultaneously a terrible storyteller. If any of you guys have talked to me for more than 10 minutes, I've told you a story that you didn't really care about, and I told it to you for like 15 minutes. <laughs> I do it all the time, right? I love doing it. I just, but, but I, and, I, and the worst part is I know the components that make up a good story, I just I, for whatever reason choose to leave those out. Well, God is telling kind of the greatest story that's ever been done ever in the history of all and everything, amen. The biggest story ever He's telling, and we've been studying through Zechariah this whole idea of the next chapter right God has saved you you've now come to know Jesus what happens next what's the next step in your life what's the next thing he's doing and we've t- been telling this story through these people a long long time ago i want to propose an idea to you that is going to seem very counterculture it it's it's going to come across kind of odd, but the the idea is that the next chapter of your life is not the end of His story. We want to make ourselves the most important part of God's story. Right? Can we admit that? Amen? Yeah? I am the most talented at blah, 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 blah. Now that God has revealed Himself to me, God will be able to do all of these great things. Right? We do that. What if I told you, you might be like a walk-on in a scene. You might be the kid sitting at the couch, making up what, what God is showing the universe and telling His story. You're not the main character. It's amazing and great that He saved you from your sin and brought you from death to life. And I am so excited that He did that for me and that He's done that for many of you, if not all of you. But it's not the end. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't cease to continue. He's going to continue to tell his story. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, let's cover some background, right? Because not everybody's been here. So, we've been in Zechariah. So, um, who can tell me what they're trying to rebuild? The temple, right? Okay, so remember we had 586, Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians, right? So, you have the period called the captivity, So, now we're post-captivity, okay? They're coming back. So, you had this King Cyrus, he sends people back, he says it's totally cool, you can rebuild the temple, you can make this happen. The first group comes back, that's Ezra, remember we studied that. But then they lose heart. And they realize that, hey, I could rebuild the temple, or I could go find my great-grandma's farm and I could rebuild that, right? Remember we studied that. And then God is telling His story through Zechariah, this prophet, and He's been encouraging them to rebuild His house, His temple. The next chapter in their life was following God there. We're not rebuilding God's temple. The next chapter in our life that He's called us to is to meet the community here in Ocala and to show them who Jesus is. That's the next chapter. That's where we find ourselves today. We're not the number one thing. But we play a part because he's called us to. So let's jump into Zechariah chapter 12. Begins with verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic, and its rider with madness." But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open. When I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness, then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of the wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves and they shall devour to the right and to the left and the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. Verse 7, And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David." And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come up against Jerusalem. Verse 10, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for, only, for their only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad who ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shemites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. We're in a transition here in how the book is laid out. We've been studying pretty much level accounts of what's happening on the ground in Jerusalem as they've been rebuilding the temple. These last three chapters, so the next three weeks, are going to mirror Revelation. It's God, remember, He peeled back and showed them the spiritual world, right? So, remember when we studied that? He's now giving Zechariah the stages of the end of the story. We're talking Jesus returning, King of Kings, Lord of Lords stuff. That's what we're reading about here. Thousands of years before it would be prophesied again, and then however long before it actually happens. So, we get to see the end of the story so long ago, and he shows it to us. We are not Israel. We are grace in no Right? I don't know, you may have a Jewish heritage, I'm not aware of it if you do, but God has a special plan for His people, that's Israel, and that plan is not the same as it is for us. We've talked about this before, right? We are the church quote-unquote, so what we are is God has set aside Israel for a time and He is using us, He has saved us, He's brought us from death to life, and Israel is looking at our relationship and saying why do they have a relationship with the God who called us out of Egypt that we don't have? And when you hear what we read in Revelation 19, that's Israel seeing Jesus, the one they pierced for the first time, as who he really is. That's what they're seeing. But again, why do we care? We're in Ocala, and it's hot outside. And I don't want to go out there and talk to people. It's weird. Well, that's the first principle. Is I call it the director principle. This is verse 1. See, what God does is He says the next chapter is being directed by the author of the entire story. We can trust Him. So, He begins this section by, by saying, "...the oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel, thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth, and formed the Spirit of man within Him. Concerning Israel." He didn't say the oracle of the word of God concerning Ocala. What he said was concerning Israel. But here's what we can do. We can look at what God is saying to his people then, and we can apply the principle to our own lives. And I want to be very clear about that. They're two different things. What we know is that what God is directing you to do, you can trust because of who he is. And see, what he does is he reminds us. He reminds us of who he is so that we can confidently follow him. Do you see how he does that? He says that he threw the sky into place. He laid the foundations for not only the earth, but the universe. And he literally formed the spirit of man. What that means is uh, he breathed life into mankind. That's what he's saying. I breathed life into mankind. Have you ever wondered why God so often talks about who he is? Anybody ever wondered that? Why does he constantly go over and over and over again about what he's done and who he is and all of this stuff? Does he come across a little pompous or full of himself? No, the problem is we're not full of him. That's the issue. The issue is not that he's full of himself. The issue is that we're not full of him. And he constantly reminds us and draws us closer to him because we forget who has called us to where we are. We forget his ability, we forget his power, we forget his character. We forget God over and over and over again. Anybody ever heard of Steven Spielberg? Right? Everybody, pretty much. everybody <laughs> Thanks, babe. OK. Do you think that like a walk-on in Saving Private Ryan, like he's, he's doing Saving Private Ryan, that Normandy scene where everybody's coming in. I mean, this is this is World War II. This is Normandy. It's kind of one of the biggest events in history. Do you think that there was one of the walk-ons who was supposed to kind of just run and jump into a bunker, walked up and was like, Hey, uh, hey, Stephen. So I was thinking, I was thinking I'd jump, uh, I'd jump the other way. Right? I was thinking, like, I, got, I wrote this, these lines out, and they're going to be great. What do you think? What do you think Steven Spielberg says to that guy? Yeah. I'm the director. Do what I said. I've cast this. I know who plays the correct parts. I know what it's supposed to look like. I have it in my mind. Do what I said because of who I am. Can you see how that applies to our call in life? God, I really want to do this, and I don't want to do that. That's what's going on in my life, God, and clearly you saved me, so that's pretty important, right? I'm I'm me. I'm a walk-on actor. But I want at least the the supporting actor who gets all those great one-liners. I want to be that guy. Far too often we find ourselves in that. And in the movie world, you know what happens to those people? You said it. Deuces, you're out. You're going to go uh, not be in Steven Spielberg's movie. Right? He, we can trust him. We can trust that the God who is laying out how he will save his people has saved us and is going to save the community that we live in. You can trust that he's written out the scene and he knows what he's doing. The next one I call the Ice Pick Principle. Okay? You'll see this in verses 2-4. through four, okay? He says, Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. The next chapter will involve God chipping away at people because the humble are more likely to follow Jesus. Remember who he's writing to. He's talking about how he's going to handle the final battle that's going to happen in Armageddon. Okay, that's what we're talking about. He's calling all the people around are going to rise up against his people, the Israelite people, and they're going to hate them and want to fight them. Do You think that's going to get their attention? Do You think that that'll help to prepare their heart for what's coming? He says he'll make Israel the nation that is detested among the world to help prepare them for his return. Because remember, we've already read the end. We read Jesus returning, King of kings, Lord of lords. That's where this is going. The imagery that he uses here is pretty incredible. He starts off with this idea of a cup of staggering. The imagery here is like a a shot of alcohol that is so strong no one can handle it. It's literally you take a sip of it and you're on the ground. You can't handle it. And then he moves on to say that it will become a burden. It will become a heavy stone that is in everyone's way, and everyone that tries to move it will get hurt. Ask every U.S. president since Jimmy Carter how that works. Every time someone tries to have peace in the Middle East, goes in and tries to have these peace talks, over and over and over again, it costs them political points. It costs people lives. It is not, it's not meant for peace right now. God is the one that will bring peace. That area will be in turmoil until Jesus returns. He says it right here. But he also says that we're going to try. We're going to try to bring peace to it. And every time we try to lift that heavy stone, people are going to get hurt. So, for us, think of yourself... It's going to sound really silly. Um, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I'm really into ice. I hate it when there's no ice. Anybody else with me? Like, like, oh, steps Yeah, and I know, I know you're like me. You're not one of these people who's like, oh, there's no ice. You're one of these people who's like, there's no ice. Right? It's a, it's a problem, right? What, okay, ice comes out of the bin, and what does it look like? It goes and drops. What's it look like? Just little ice cubes. Then what happens? It all freezes together. It drives you nuts. And it's good for nothing. And you got to get an ice pick out, or in our house, a big knife that's used for everything. We don't even use a screwdriver. We just use a knife for all of it. Right? And you have to pound on this ice, and you have to chip away at it. And then once you're done, is it useful now? Yeah, it's totally useful again. Your life is kind of like that. My life is kind of like that, too. We came out, we were created to be a certain thing. Sin entered in, and it got all morphed up and dysfunctional and goofy and weird. And it wasn't what it was for. Then, God, through His Son, saved us. And in saving us, chipped away at what was needed to be removed to make us useful again. And we have ice. Right? Love ice, right? Does the chipping away feel good? Not so much. Chipping away can seriously hurt. And for God's people at the time, that we're talking about in the future, when all of the nations surround them are going to want to kill them, that's not going to be pleasant. And we're not, we're not making, I don't want to make light of that, but I want to make sure that we can understand this point but he's doing what he needs to do to prepare their hearts for his return because they're going to see the one whom they said was not God and now they're going to see him as God. What did that look like in your life? What chipping away did he have to do to get you to the place where you saw Jesus for who he is? And man, how bad did that chipping hurt? For some of us, maybe it didn't. For me, it did. But he loved me enough just to do it. And he continues with this really cool idea. It's it's the second half of of, uh, verse 4. I call this the the pads principle. Okay? The idea is that in the next chapter, God will protect those he's chipping away at. Okay? This is really cool. So what he's saying is, I'm going to raise up all of these armies and these nations around. And these armies and these nations are going to go and they're going to try to kill my people. But while I'm doing that, all of you will be safe. I will keep my eye on you. I will protect you. God, in chipping away at us, was also protecting us so that we would not have destruction. How cool is that? At the same time, cutting away at the junk, still protecting us so that we can be useful. What he's doing is, is he's not shredding the ice. God says, while he's getting the attention through the hardship, he'll still continue to protect his people. Grayson, what's the point of pads in football? Keep you safe. When you put pads on, does that mean you don't get hit? (laughs) Not at all, right? You get pads on, you still get blown up. Without the pads, what would happen? Broken bones, concussions, all kinds of stuff, right? Oh there you are. the nurse is like, yeah, I can tell you all of it. Yeah. Hyperextension of the fifth metatarsal for ferv- that, ferv- 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 <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Remember that the goal for God is your repentance, not your death. God will do what it takes to get you to repentance, but he doesn't want you to die. He's called you to follow him. He's called you in this next chapter to step out and follow him in your, in your community. Remember, your story's not over. And he's going to protect you. But he'll also chip away at what's around you to get your attention. The next one in verses 5 through 9, I call the where's Waldo principle. It's, it's really cool because here's what, here's what he says. Jesus will make it clear in the next chapter whom he's using. God says those around his people will recognize the source of their strength. Okay, So, here's what's happening. What he says is, is on that day they'll look and they'll see that the strength of God's people is God, not themselves. They're not going to see, okay look at their army is so strong. Look at how great they are. They're going to see who God is and what God is doing. God says that those around Israel who know, their God, who know who God is, they'll know the source of the power. He will make them, listen to this, like a burning match in a dry forest, like a flaming torch in a barn full of hay. They will look different than their surroundings. He's going to restore them while also destroying all the nations around them. God is not about to burn down your neighbor's house. But what he is doing is he's calling you to look differently than everyone else. He's calling you to look like a follower of Christ. When you look at a Where's Waldo picture, it's pretty hard to find Waldo, or am I the only one? Grace, do they still do Where's Waldo? Is this completely crazy to you? You ever heard of it? Okay. When you look at it, you see a whole bunch of people. What he says is those who know God can look and they can see the ones that are following God. When you're out in the community and you're actively following God, you will see those people. They will be stuck out like a sore thumb. That's someone who knows Jesus. Have you had that experience? Have you had the experience of seeing someone else that knows who God is and the enjoyment of that? For those that are looking, believers stand out in a crowd. And for those that aren't looking, the unbelievers, they stand out too. Not always for the same reasons though. How how much are you standing out in the crowd? Are you just like everybody else or can people look at your life and see that you live for something else? that you're following God in the next chapter of your life, or has he saved you, and you're just sitting back going, sweet, death to life, and now I get to just sit here. We've got to check ourselves and find out where we're at. Final one you'll see in verses 10 through 14. I call this the, the transformation principle. It reads like this, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as he mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn. Anyone else thought it was weird that they see Jesus and they cry? And they're upset? The reason that's happening is transformation is occurring. The next chapter in others' lives begins just like the next chapter in our lives began with the realization that we sinned against the God of the universe. Realizing our need for a Savior is directly connected to realizing that we sinned and what sin is. Sin is looking at God and saying, I know better, I'll do my own thing, and not meeting the mark that he has set for us. And when you meet Jesus for the first time, all of a sudden you have this moment where you think, oh my gosh, look at all of these choices I've made that have been all about self and have been all about me. And you're overcome with ineptitude. That's what they were seeing right here. They were beginning the transformation process. God's people finally see Jesus in the scene from Revelation as God says he is, and they realize their sin, they realize their fault. Now the death that we're talking about here, he makes a reference to Hadid Ramon. That's in Second Chronicles chapter 35, if, if, you're, if you take notes. That's King Josiah. The reason that's so sad and so sorrowful is because there was a battle in the valley of Megiddo. That's Armageddon. That's where Revelation 19 takes place. Okay, that's the final battle of it all. There's a battle that happens there a long time ago towards the end of the two two nations, right? Israel and Judah. We're tracking. The king of Judah, Josiah, is fighting. He's the last hope for Judah. The last king who's following God and he's killed. And when he's killed, everyone mourns because they know the nation's over. It's done. It's time it's over. They're going to end up going into captivity. This is not going to go well. So there's this mourning process. And what he's comparing it to is he says, when they look up and they see Jesus, they will be mourning like the nation is destroyed. The very thing that is bringing the salvation of their nation will make them look and feel as if the nation was destroyed because they're seeing their sin for the first time. How many of us have felt a piece of that? where we see who Jesus is and we realize that we have just been so busted that we've missed it completely. Christ is transforming in front of their very eyes from a good guy to Christ. Yeah, Jesus lived. Yeah, he walked the earth. He was a teacher. He's like Gandhi. Oh, no, he's God. He's transforming in front of their very eyes. Their lives are transforming and they're weeping. Their entire nation is weeping. This is the end of Revelation. They're looking up at God and weeping. doesn't end there. He continues in the next few chapters, which we'll get, which we'll get into in the next couple of weeks. It's just beautiful what God is doing. In our lives, he's again called us out of the last chapter. We've now come to know him. And in the next chapter, to look upon the world that has fallen and to realize that they have sinned against God. And we're called to know that it's not over. We still meet them where they are. We still go out into the community. We still have intentional conversations. We still pray for folks about what God is doing in their lives. I know it's a silly illustration, but I think it makes the point. That's Dr. Bruce Banner, for those of you that don't know. That's the Hulk, right? He just looks like a normal dude. And then he becomes the Hulk. Not a normal dude. Jesus went from a guy to incredibly God. And they were going to be different forever because of it. It's exactly the same model that kind of happened in our lives too. So, closing this out, what's our obedience and action steps? Okay, First up, within the body. Remember, the body is who's here. God's people, who is who we are. What has He called us to do based on Zechariah 12? First, pray for the body to be reminded daily of the director and His calling. Spend time in prayer daily this week, praying about what God is directing our body to do, and that we can remember that we can trust Him. Also, ask a member of the body this week who they are being called to reach and how that's going. That's accountability. Reach out to somebody and say, hey, who's God called you to reach? How's that going? What are we doing there? And finally, encourage the member of the body this week by action, not just word. Don't be a Waldo. Be a follower of Jesus. Do not blend in. Be who he's called you to be. Now our obedience and action in the community. We've talked about what that looks like for us. How does that look like for us outside? Walk confidently in your community because you trust the director who sent you. The walk-on part that you have is important. Trust that he sent you there for a reason. Secondly, pray about how God is chipping away at the people you're called to reach. Ask for wisdom in interacting with those trials. That's too many words. Boil that down. God is calling the people who are around you to Himself. He's doing work. He's the one who sent them a spirit of grace and mercy to prepare their hearts. Who in your life right now is He starting to do that with and are you praying about that? Are you going to God and saying, God what about Steve? What about Bill? What about Rachel? Whatever whatever the name is. What are you doing in their life, God, and how can I help? How are you chipping away? And then be prepared to have the conversations when they go through a tough time because He's called us to interact. Finally, be a follower of Jesus in your community, not a Waldo. We stand out because He is God and He has called us into the light. We talked about this story, right? We talked about the fact that the next chapter of your life is not the end of the story. We've covered this. What does a story need? It needs a great beginning. It needs characters you care about. It needs conflict. And it needs closure. It needs something that brings closure at the end. There has to be a closing scene. The closing scene we read, it's Jesus returning. But it's not over. It is not over until he says it is. And until then, we're called to be that walk on part. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, Ocalagrace.org.